Well, hey, everybody, it's Friday night and it is Quantum Wellbeing. Uh, it's Quantum Wellbeing show, but it is Quantum Wellbeing. Is it Quantum Wellbeing in your world? I hope it is. I really do. You know, I'm all about I'm all about well-being. I mean, everything that I do, everything that I do is for the intention of increasing well-being. And, and that began way back in the 80s when I fell into the lap of Abraham, right? Abraham Hicks uh, in the hot seat, a crumpled mess. And it began way back then for me and actually began further back. But I'll tell you more about that. But it's Friday night. You know that song? Friday night. You don't want me to sing. Just got paid, right? Do you guys know that song? Do you know? Let me know if you know that song. All right. Uh, so tonight, a little bit different, right? Uh, you've been with me some of you have been with me for five years on the broadcast team alpha show you've been with me in i don't know how long how many weeks we've been doing this now what like six seven weeks maybe and you know i'm an open book for good or for bad sometimes it's it's good for everybody else but it's rough being an open book right because if you are always in the process of wanting to uh reach a higher standard become a better person um um reach your intentions it's really easy to look back at the last show and the show before that and go oh my god can we please just take that down so i appreciate you for hanging out with me and letting me go through the movements here of finding my pace you know, of finding what really, really is um, an alchemical miracle between me and you and the shows and the network, and it's going to happen. So I just want to thank you for hanging out with me and being patient with me while that happens. I want to say a shout out to my friends over at the Conscious Awakening Network. I got something surprising coming up. Who did I just sound like? I almost sounded like uh, Nanny McPhee there, right? Something surprising um, <laughs> is coming up over there. And I'm really excited. I'm going to be co-creating something with, with Sheila Seppi over there, and it's going to be fun, and I think you guys are going to like it. But you can also find our shows over there right now. You can even replay our shows over there, and we stream them live, Conscious Awakening Network, so go check it out. Hi, guys. I see you hanging out in the chat room. Got to do a disclaimer. If you're squeamish... If you get triggered by talking about the human anatomy, body parts, blood, or guts, um, or death, um, I'm going to talk about a lot of that, right? But I'm also going to, amid all of those other aspects that I told you I'm going to talk about, is going to be the fragility of life the the magic of connection the absolute magic of connection the the courage and valiance 
of the human spirit and soul. And I'm going to talk about miracles that happen in the presence of love. Miracles always happen in the presence of love. So, so tonight I have a few experiences I want to share with you from when I was working in the burn and the trauma ICU that was lovingly known the BTU, the BT, the BTU. I knew I wanted to work there when I went through that unit during clinicals, right? When you're in nursing school, you get to hang out in the unit for a couple of weeks and see if you like it, see if you hate it, right? I, the psych unit, I, I triggered every psych patient that was in there. So I knew I did not want to go into psych nursing, nursing right? So one psych patient was like, you put radon in the air vent. And I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Psych nursing is not for me. I knew I wanted to work in the BTU, in the burn trauma unit. The minute I stepped fo foot in, in that unit, I just absolutely knew it. It was intense. It was a very messy place, probably even messier than the emergency room, if you could imagine that. The patients were often in very grave danger. I mean, wicked. 12-hour shifts would evaporate in what seemed like minutes. And the only thing you could really count on working in the BTU was that very little was predictable. So you had to be ready for anything. I remember one night I was taking care of a gang member. And for whatever reason, we didn't lock the unit. You know, oftentimes if when we had gang members, we would lock the unit. But it was a night shift. And for whatever reason, we didn't lock the unit. And I remember standing in my patient's room, which, of course, was the first room. When you walk into the unit, it was the first room when you walk in the unit, I'm standing there for a minute, you know, thinking about how my night's going to go and planning, right, that if anything happened, that I would go in the bathroom, which was off, you know, the wall was here, the patient's room was here, the bathroom was off, you know, of course, in its own little room. And you never really want to go in a patient's bathroom because we, everything that needs to be thrown away gets thrown away in there. But my plan was, if anything happened, I would go in the bathroom and I would wedge myself between the toilet and the far wall. So that's what, you know, that's what some of the nights were like there. Um, but I absolutely loved every single minute of it. Oh, uh, Linda, Linda said, uh, She's got a storm, so she may lose connection. Okay, babe. All right. So I knew I wanted to work there, but you can't just go and work there when you're a nursing student. You have to earn the right to work in that unit. You really do. You have to earn the right. So I went right out of nursing school. I went to the cardiac step-down unit which most people don't go to that kind of a unit right out of school. Usually you start on med surge, you know, where just the, like the nice little old patients are and you work up. But I went right into the cardiac step down unit because I knew after one year, I could go work at the burn trauma unit. And I swear it probably was 365, 365 days to the minute that I went and I applied and I got in there. It was amazing. I loved what I did, guys. I absolutely loved it. It was fast paced. 
It was intense. There was so much to learn. I mean, so much. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about having to know, right, um, advanced cardiac life support. That's not easy. You have to memorize every single drug for every single thing, including in case the person's dying of a spider bite. I mean, you know, that is just one little snippet of the things you had to learn. There was so much to learn. And I loved every single bit of it. I loved microbiology. I, I loved everything about it. And I loved that there was always more to learn. We used to say that if the pieces were living, if the human pieces were living when the ambulance brought them in, right, the people came in through the emergency room in the trauma bay, and if they could kind of piece the pieces together enough to send them up to our unit, they usually would come up to the unit, then they would go to surgery, or they'd go to surgery first, and then if the pieces were still living, they would come to our unit. Um, Sometimes we had such a high mortality rate during our peak season that we would joke, you know, that we were going to put um, the, the sign for the morgue <laughs> where the B, where the BTU sign is, because that's just the truth of, you know, what, what went on there. I loved it so much that I went in, you know, I did my three shifts. They'd call me up and say, hey, can you do another shift? I'd be there. I mean, there were days that I didn't even know. I didn't even know what day it was. The only reason I knew what day it was was because we time taped the IV tubing, right? The unit was so mm, vulnerable for growing all kinds of really crazy bacteria and and viruses and things that we had to change the tubing out every day that doesn't happen on every other unit right because the other units are cleaner so the only reason i knew what day it was some days is because i have to go in and go okay if today's saturday the time tape is yellow and then i would put the time tape on my new iv tubing and that's how i knew what day it was but I loved it. I loved everything about it. It was busy. There was all kinds of smart people, really smart people. It was a teaching hospital. Um, you know, so the residents would make rounds every morning with the doctors, you know, and, and, and the, the, the unit director of the burn trauma unit who was like, he traveled on a white beam of light, right? If, he, if I was in a car accident, I would only wished that I could I'll utter his name. He was that amazing. So you kind of get in the picture, right? So every room has a nurse. The nurses usually had one or two patients. And most of the time, the acuity, our patients were so sick and so broken, we usually had one each. Um, the setting was tons of equipment, you know, and, and a copious amount of IV pumps, sometimes more IV pumps than one could think you could keep track of. But, you know, you, you caught up by the, the adrenaline. You love the science. You know, you want to make a difference. Um, so you do it. You do it. And it's actually so much fun. And of course, you know, I love the responsibility. I liked the responsibility of being a co-creative partner in whether the person could get better, right? If I could do my part and it was their part to get better, or 
I could do my part and it was their part to have a peaceful, dignified, loving death. I loved the responsibility of it, right? I loved when these patients would come in, I'm thinking of two in particular, that didn't have, that seemed to not have a chance in hell, but they make it, they make it. So tonight, I want to share a couple of experiences with you. And of course, I was an in-the-closet in healer. I was, I was literally an in-the-closet in healer because it wasn't cool. In, to, we didn't talk about being healers back then. And that's, that'll be another story. Um, I, I did do what I do. You know, I did use my gifts when I was inspired to use them. Um, and they made a difference, and but that's another story. So I'm going to share a couple of experiences with you tonight. And I wasn't sure how to choose which ones, because there's so many, you know, I, I would, I would love to share all of them with you. So I'm, I went back to my roots, you know, as a little kid, I knew things, excuse me. I didn't know that I knew things. Right? I thought it was just normal. But then when I noticed the way that adults reacted to what I knew, then I began to understand that what I knew was something different than what everybody else knew. I knew when unexpected people were coming. I knew things that were going on with other people in my family, my aunts or my uncles that didn't live anywhere near us. And there was no logical way for me to know those things. I knew when there was going to be a car crash. I knew when someone was going to be hit by a truck. I knew when people in my family were going to die. I just knew. I knew a lot. I knew a lot. And some of those things were not popular for a little kid to know. So I learned to stop telling people everything that I knew, right? But now, over the years, I've begun to develop, not not begun, I've been developing the psychic aspect of my beingness. You know, when I was 10 years old, I was handed a book. I still have the book. It is yellow. It is so frayed. I have it tied together, right? Tied together so gently. Um, and it was, you can change your life through psychic awareness. What a crazy book to give to a 10-year-old, right? But... It was a gift beyond gifts because the person that gave it to me knew that I was born into interest, interesting circumstances and would probably need, right, the gifts of psychic awareness. But let me explain why. So I was adopted. And back then when you're adopted, right, it's not you know, it's not all the niceties that they have now, like, you know, underwater birth and holding somebody holds the baby. And right. I was probably in a plexiglass.
you. You're welcome. Um, and thank you, you know, for being the inspiration for uh, allowing me to share these stories tonight. So, so tonight I'm going to talk about Professor Vindicate. That's what I'm calling him. Professor Vindicate. Vindicate means to free someone from a wrongdoing from the charge of a wrongdoing okay so i just want to i want to say that right from the start before we get started so professor vindicate came in he was about um late 50s early 60s can't remember what all was wrong with him pretty sure it was a pretty bad car wreck and he was a mess he was a mess inside had no family couldn't contact anybody couldn't find anybody but he had a living will and that living will said this is what i want this is what i don't want He didn't want any of all the stuff that got done to him in the next four days. He didn't want any of it. The first day I took care of him, I always talked to my patients, even though they were brain dead, comatose, whatever you want to call it, always talked to them, told them what was going on, you know, told them what was wrong with his body. Of course, I never say, hey, you're going to die, right? Because I always I always leave hope of open because a miracle can happen, right? So there was this one doctor on that wasn't, wasn't the usual doctors that I hang out with. Oh, you had no sound. Excellent. All right. I'm not sure where you guys lost the sound, but all right. So Professor Vindicate came in. He was a hot mess body was a mess he wasn't going to live unless a miracle happened the attending physician was not somebody that i usually work with wasn't part of the usual crew and was ordering all this stuff i mean all this stuff and as nurses we got to keep an eye on all this stuff right to make sure that it's necessary for insurance purposes but also of course for the patient's purposes so they're doing all of these uh, heroic measures they're doing all of this exotic testing and invasive you know very invasive things so the first day goes by the next day i had him i said you know hey doc you know he's he's got this living will here you know do you seen it you can tread lightly oh yeah yeah i saw it i saw it i saw it all right well is this you know treading very lightly more orders more invasive things more testing more exotic treatments the third day comes so then I, I was working night shift so i'm talking to the patient i'm like look there's a lot going on i know you know you know because you're you're in the middle of it you're experiencing it 
and I'm doing my best to advocate for you. He's comatose, comatose, right? Air quotes. Um, but I'm having a really hard time. You know, I'm having a really hard time advocating for you. So the third day comes and I talk to the doctor and the end result of the conversation was, you know, Nori, if you feel that you are emotionally involved with this patient, we could get you assigned to a different patient. Oh, my hair was on fire, right? It's like, okay. All right, so he's going to play that card. So I really thought about it. You know, I prayed. I, I touched my patient. You know, I shared energy with him. I let him know what was, what was going on. And I said to him, I said, look, I'm, I'm running out of options here. If you don't want all this that we're doing to you, I really suggest that you make a decision, that you make your own decision. So I get the ethics committee involved, right? Not a popular move, right? Not a popular move with this doctor, but I don't care. I don't care. I had to take care of my patient. Got the ethics committee they got involved, you do what they do, they do an investigation. Um, but it was on the fourth day, I was working with him that night. And I said, Look, you know, here's what I did. And I laid it out for him. I told him everything that happened, told him about the ethics committee, told him that I am absolutely out of options. And that if you can make a decision, and you don't want all this, like your living will says you don't, then I, I really invite you to make that decision. He was rock solid stable, rock solid stable, right? The whole night, vital signs were great, didn't waver a bit, nothing would indicate that he was declining. I got off at 7.30, came back in that night at 7 p.m. And the, the nurse that I had turned the care over to told me that he coded right he went into cardiac arrest right around quarter to eight and and he died and he died there were absolutely no physical signs or symptoms that would have led to the belief that that was going to happen except for him making that decision uh, i love that i i absolutely that's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite proof, proof of what power we have, that we are not just this body. <coughs> Pixie, this is my show tonight. Thank you. That we are not just this body and we have, we have sovereignty over this body. Amazing, right? All right. I'm going to tell you one more quick one, and um, it's not a happy ending, but the power of connection, the sweetness, the power, the beauty, the majesty of connection is worth listening to the story. 
So we're we're in the BTU, right? The burn trauma unit, which means we get burn patients. So got a call from the ER. We're getting a burn patient in. It's going to be my patient. And she's a 22-year-old nail salon owner who uh, had a six-month-old baby and some other little kids, you know, a family-run nail salon, who kept their acetone in a place where it shouldn't have been and there was a cigarette or a match or something and the only thing that was not burned on her was where she had a big belt right and you know a big decorative belt in her clothing that was the only part of her skin that was not burned not not a good picture you know not a good picture at all plus she had she had inhaled flames so she stayed with us for quite a while, right? I mean, we really tried to keep her alive. We tried to save her life. And burns are very messy. They're very dirty. And they're opportunistic. So things would begin to grow in the burns that would require, you know, if, when it got so bad, things would have to be amputated so that it wouldn't continue growing. And we all got to know the six-month-old baby. The family was amazing. They were Filipino. They were so sweet. Even on the saddest day, even on the most painful day for that family, they would bring us coffee or they would bring us donuts. I mean, they were uh, just the give and the take in this in this particular case was so so beautiful so the nurses fell in love with the baby right so you would often find the baby back in the nurse's lounge and she was losing body parts and she wasn't looking good and her lungs were maxed out right because she had inhaled the flames and her vital signs were starting to show that she was definitely going to go soon go soon soon so we're all in the room and you know we've maxed out every possible thing that we could do we've got nothing left and the baby's in the the nurse's lounge with one of the nurses so in love with the baby and the family is around the bedside and of course i would always stay with them so i'm i'm there with them and they're they're praying and doing their personal ritual, holding hands, you know, a, a beautiful, um, beautiful, touching, heartfelt, very accepting. You know, the family was very accepting of the fact that this 22-year-old girl was not going to hang around to raise her children, you know, and be part of the family. And you could see the heart rate, right? You've all seen her on TV get slower and slower and slower and slower and i turn the alarm off because nobody wants to hear the flat line alarm right it's bad enough to be there with the patient with your loved one dying you don't need that horrible alarm so i turn the alarm off and as soon as she went flatline and i told the family the baby in the nurse's lounge started crying and became absolutely in unconsolable 
mom flatlined, baby, way down the hall in another room, knew it. That is the beauty of life. That is the magic of connection. That is the grace of what we're here to experience, even, even though sometimes it's painful. That is proof that we are not separate. And I hope that this little story of not being separate inspires us all to look at the way that we look at separation right now. We think our family, we're separated from them. We think that we're separated from our boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, whoever we think that we're separated from. You're going to be separated from, from that person, right? I just really invite all of us tonight to think about that connection, right? To think about that spiritual, energetic connection that we are not separate and use it to create love and well-being somewhere, somewhere, anywhere, in the grocery store, somewhere in your life. Much love, everybody. Please let me know if you want to hear more of these stories in the chat room, and I will see you ready for the countdown. Augie, oh, Sunday night, I'm going to be there, Sunday night. 9 p.m. is the paranormal show. We've got Bill Me coming on. I'm going to be talking about Inner Earth. Ooh, cool stuff. Um, okay, so that's Sunday. Tuesday, 8 p.m., our regular broadcast team alpha show. And then Friday night, 7.30. It's only supposed to be a half hour. I made it. <laughs> One half hour even um, is the Quantum Wellbeing show. I love you guys so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Mac. See you guys next time. Much love. Take care of each other.